Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So last week, Steffi and I finished a streaming series called Man in the High Castle. Uh, If you're not familiar with the series, the main story is set in a world where Germany and Japan won the Second World War. Uh, so, so North America is a state divided between the German Nazi rulers on the East Coast and the Japanese Imperial rulers on the West Coast. And for most of the American characters, it's a miserable life. Uh, things start to change, however, and this is sort of when the show is set, uh, when a mysterious figure starts distributing films that show a different world. Uh, These films show a world more like ours, where the United States still exists, uh, and it's interesting how different characters in the show react when they see this footage. Some folks, when they see the films, they're, they're skeptical, and they say it's too good to be true, while others respond with hope, and they work all the harder to make their world more like the ones that they see in those films. I wonder, when, when you read or when you hear others read uh, descriptions in the scriptures about what life will be like when, in the new creation, or about what life will be like when, when Jesus returns, how do you respond? Do the descriptions seem too good to be true, or do they give you hope to live out your faith in this broken world? In the reading from Isaiah, we got to hear this beautiful description of what the last days will be like. And like the films in the Man in the High Castle series, it's like getting a glimpse into a completely different world. Uh, Let's read it again together. It'll be up on the screen. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the Lord, of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. All nations, every ethnicity, will flock to worship God. This is the final result of our missional call as the church. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will come together to worship our Savior. And more than that, everyone will learn from Jesus. Everyone will become more and more like him. Everyone will walk with him, follow his teachings. Conflicts between individuals, between families and tribes, between whole nations will be settled by the perfect justice of God who knows every detail in history, every detail of conflict. And in verse 4, we see one of the reasons why that's such, a good, that's such good news. 
all the, the energy and, and the resources that were once used to police individuals and, and wage war against nations, medals, men and women, food, training, all that will go toward caring for the land and harvesting its abundance. Now, we have a small-scale farm right here at New Garden Park, and if you're visiting today or want to come back on a prettier day, uh, I would encourage you to go out and see it and, and get a tour from Lena or, or, Sari or Sarah or Nancy. Uh, in the two short years that we've been here, that we've started the farm, we've gotten to see just how much the Lord can do with just a couple acres of land and a few loving farmers. It's been amazing to be part of. Now let's imagine this passage from Isaiah in our own context. Imagine if there was no war anywhere. Imagine if every dollar that the United States government currently spends on weapons, ammunition, uh, vehicles, imagine if the munitions factories, the steel plants, the oil lines, all the labor and resources that go into this country alone and its, its ability to, make, to wage war... Imagine if all that was repurposed for sustainable agriculture. Imagine if the 1.3 million active-duty military personnel could train instead to bring abundance from the land in our country rather than training for battle. Imagine if every nation was like that. That's the vision that God gave Isaiah. And I would think that to him, like to us, it sounded amazing. Wow, Lord! It's like Umaganda Day on a global scale. But I also have to think that along with the joy that such a vision would, would come a, a pain of, of longing. Because as beautiful as this vision is, we're, we're not there yet. Look at chapter 1 of Isaiah and look at the verses right after this passage and you'll see that Isaiah's reality was very far from the vision that he saw. Judah and Jerusalem, the, the covenant people who were chosen to show the kingdom of God to the nations, they were under wrath and judgment for their failure. Uh, instead of adopting God's character to show the world what the Lord is like, Judah had adopted the character of the nations around it, and they'd forsaken their identity, and they were living in fear that one of the major world powers of the day would come and they would wipe them out. So it was a grim scene in Judah when Isaiah first saw this beautiful vision that we read. It seemed as if the dark powers of God's enemies were poised to win a final victory over God's people. And when I look at the world today, I, when I read the news, I wonder, how much has that since changed? Right? I mean, around the world we see governments, religious groups, and individuals targeting Christians with violence. We see church bombings on Easter in, in Sri Lanka. We see families being killed or, or driven from their homes in Jos, Nigeria. And then in, when you look at our own country, in our own United States, you see that we're, we're coming up on a presidential election, the results of which threaten to emotionally devastate half our country, close to half our country, regardless of who wins. So this, this passage, this promise of perfect peace, of every nation coming to worship the Lord is beautiful and comforting. It's an image of hope, of that, that perfect wholeness that will come when Christ returns. It's a promise from God that this present darkness is not forever. And it's also a stark reminder that our world is a painful place to live right now. 
And it stirs up a longing for that new creation. This is why I love Advent, because in the season of Advent, we take four whole weeks to press into this longing to build our expectation of Jesus' return and to learn from Scripture how we are to live at this stage, in this age of expectation. So let's, let's look at our other two passages from today. At first glance, this, this passage from Matthew 24 that Ryan read, uh, it's intimidating. I mean, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Are these, these prophecies, these predictions, ones that were fulfilled by his death and resurrection? Were they fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in, in AD 70? Are they yet to be fulfilled when Jesus returns? Uh, it's complicated. And even though I'd love to spend like an hour diving into the nitty-gritty details of uh, this, message, this passage with you, if I did that, it would actually take away from the gut punch that Jesus' original audience would have gotten out of it. So this alarming language that Jesus uses throughout this passage, throughout this whole chapter 24 of Matthew, is basically the the oral or or literary form of setting off a package of firecrackers. I mean, imagine if I were to do that right now. We'd we'd have to leave, but... (laughs) um, Listen to some of the language again. The, The sign of the Son of Man in the sky, the trumpet call, the days of Noah and the flood when many perished. Two will be in the field. Two will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken. One will be, be left. The famous thief in the night verb. Uh, with this language, Jesus is basically grabbing his listeners by the front of the shirt and saying, listen up. This is urgent, right? This is important stuff. And it's not as though this urgency... Uh, hasn't been there the whole time. I mean, the kingdom of God is at hand has, seems to be one of the closest things that Jesus had to like a catchphrase in, in his early ministry. But as he gets closer and closer to his passion, as the cross is looming up ahead, he uses stronger language to get his point across. And the point is this. Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on earth fully. He's going to return. And now that you've heard about it, get ready. Now is the time to join the kingdom of God. How? He said it at the beginning of his ministry, and he's saying it again here. Matthew 3, 2, Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1, 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent, turn away from the pursuit of self, of self-gratification, from the ways that we have adopted the character of the world. Believe in the gospel. Believe that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to rescue his people. Turn to Jesus as your king. That is the way for all of us to be ready for Jesus' return. And Paul, the apostle, teaches out, he teases out this theme of readiness in, in Jesus' preaching in the passage that we read from Romans. After summing up the, the commands of God in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself, he says in verse 11, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I wonder if, if he's thinking of the, that passage from Isaiah. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul's echoing Jesus here and saying, now that we know the kingdom of God has arrived, it's time to wake up. Let's stop living like it's nighttime. Let's stop living like the status quo is all there's ever going to be, and let's get dressed for the day. It's time to start acting like we're citizens under Christ our King. Let's stop medicating ourselves with whatever our vice of choice is. It's time for us to live as though we believe there's a resurrection from the dead, that we will be raised with Jesus in his resurrection, that all our desires will be met fully in him. This call to to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus, that's in verse 14, that's a call to live out Christ's lifestyle, to love our neighbors, to die to ourselves, and to follow him. So Jesus is calling us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, to follow his way of doing things, Because the kingdom of God broke into the kingdom of darkness with the incarnation when God became a man. We'll be celebrating that at Christmas. God became one of us, not so that he could could win the world to himself through strength, but so that he could win the world to himself out of his own weakness. I mean, think about it. The vulnerability of God becoming a baby in a young girl's womb. He won the world, not uh, through power or respectability or physical fitness or beauty, but by giving up all power, by forsaking all respectability, by embracing death itself and all this world considers ugly, even in his own body on the cross. And he calls us to do the same. This is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And yet, until Jesus returns, there is another kingdom at work, a kingdom of darkness. And and herein lies the cause of this, this uncomfortable longing that we get when we read passages like the ones we read today. Now, as, as many of you know, I've spent the majority of 2019 in braces. Uh, I was telling Stephanie earlier, I'd love to have an illustration that doesn't have to do with my teeth. But it seems like every time I preach, there's something going on with my mouth. Um, so I, I had braces put on uh, back in February at, at my dentist recommendation because not only were my teeth crooked, uh, but my jaws are actually not aligned properly. Uh, I, I need a surgery to move my jawbones so that my teeth can work the way they're supposed to work. Uh, now, most of you who've had braces know they're not the most fun thing in the world. Uh, But what's made this process especially uncomfortable is the fact that my teeth are actually getting less aligned the further into the process I go. Because my bottom jaw, see, it it goes too far forward. So when I had braces as a kid, they adjusted my teeth to to try and compensate for that so that they could be as close as possible without the surgery. But now that I'm getting the surgery, all that work has to be undone so that my teeth will be where they need to be after the surgery. As my teeth get ready for the the coming realignment, they actually feel 
le- uh, less and less uh, uh, comfortable. As, uh, it's hard for me to keep my mouth closed, even. Uh, I, I don't like the way my smile looks right now. And, and chewing is, is getting more and more uh, difficult because my teeth only meet in one or two spots right now. Uh, earlier today, Benjamin was asking me, so when are you g- going to get new clothes? Because I've actually lost weight because it's hard, so hard to eat. And I said, no, I'm just using suspenders. They'll keep my pants up. Um, <laughs> my teeth don't work the way they're supposed to work. The, the more they're getting ready for, for life before the surgery, the more pain I feel now before the surgery. It's really hard to wait for life after the surgery. If we pursue the life that Christ set forth, the more aligned we are with the kingdom that he established in his incarnation, the more we, we will feel more and more out of step with this world. The more we embrace the vision that Isaiah saw, inviting the Lord into our disputes, putting our energy into our work instead of our conflicts, the more we will begin to feel like our jaws just don't quite meet. And that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to walk in the the weakness of the way of the cross in an age when power is what the world tells us to gain. Alan addressed that in his sermon last week. We, We serve a crucified king. It's uncomfortable to do what Paul tells us to do here in in Romans. Look at what he calls us to do in verse 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. It's uncomfortable to engage with the world and the people around us rather than numbing ourselves to it with screen time or, or food or drinks or drugs. It's uncomfortable to live in sexual purity when we're surrounded by pornography or when when most of the people in our dating pool would pass us by because we're waiting until marriage. It's uncomfortable to submit our conflicts to the Lord for his judgment when the violent solution often goes unpunished or even rewarded. But the good news is that we're not alone in this. Jesus who led the way for us to follow, who opened the way of life to, for us by his death and resurrection so that we can live in the new creation Isaiah saw in his vision. Jesus offers us every resource to live as citizens of his kingdom. In his word, he teaches us. In baptism, he washes us clean from our guilt and he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us and strengthen us and comfort us. And in the Eucharist, he feeds us with his own body so that we can grow more and more like him. So, so three things I, I hope you'll take home with you and put into practice this Advent season. First, if, if any of you are here today are, are not members of God's kingdom, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you have been but you walked away, know that the invitation stands open to all people. Jesus went to his death because he wants you in his kingdom. So don't let guilt or shame keep you from coming to him. Now that you've heard this invitation, don't let the moment pass. If you want to join his kingdom, you can do it right now. 
Turn away from your sins. Come out of the kingdom of darkness that's going to be swept away. Tell Jesus that you believe in him and want him to be your king. If you're not sure what to say, or if you want someone to be with you as you take this step, come and talk to one of us up front after the service, or go to one of the prayer ministers during communion. If you have questions about anything I've said, if you're wondering, if, could this be for me? Come and get answers. Don't be shy. We would love to tell you everything you want to know about Jesus and his kingdom. Second, I, I want to urge all of you to spend this month reading through God's promises to us in Scripture. Abram was strengthened to move his whole life to a foreign country because he held on to God's promise to him. So let's keep our eyes this Advent season and all year round on what Jesus promises us. I'd be happy to send out a whole list of scriptures that you can read over and over, memorize. If we keep these promises in our minds, they will be a great source of comfort and strength to us. And when those promises create that sense of, of longing in your heart, turn that longing into prayer. We said this at the very beginning of the service. Cry out to the Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And finally, for the, the season of Advent, we're, we're focusing on, on the practice and discipline of confession. Now, we do confession every Sunday because it is part of repentance. It's part of turning away from the kingdom of darkness that is passing away. When we confess our sins, when we name those ways that we have failed to live up to our citizenship in the kingdom of God, 1 John 1 tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us. And in James 5, we also read an exhortation to confess our sins to one another. So I want to really encourage you this Advent season, make a practice of confession. You might start by practicing confessing your sins to God alone. You could use the same prayer that we use on Sundays. But there's something even more powerful in confessing with a friend or with someone you trust. And that's why all of us priests here at Church of the Redeemer have set aside time each day of the week this month to meet with anyone who wants to come for confession. Now, by coming to one of us, you have the chance to pray with someone who will hold everything you say completely confidential. We don't even talk to our wives about who came for confession that day. We don't uh, tell them what we talked about. You also get to pray with someone who has been given authority by the church to tell you that Jesus forgives you. Your sins have been washed away by his blood. And you get to pray with someone who is trained in caring for people who want to get free from their sins. We're in this together with you. So as Paul said, let's clothe ourselves in the Lord Jesus. As Isaiah said, come, descendants of Jacob. Come, disciples of Jesus. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.